Well, it has been a while since we have talked about what is happening inside Stanley Park, specifically talking about the changes that were made to the park at the beginning of the pandemic when it was a way to get cyclists off the the actual seawall and to give them more space. And as we know, there was a lane of traffic that was blocked off and that has not changed. Well, we've talked about this in the past as well. There is a group of people who have taken the Vancouver Park Board to task over that decision to not reverse those changes. Many saying that they have disabilities or they are elderly and the changes have been extremely, made it extremely difficult for people to access the park. So they have taken their concerns to the BC Human Rights Tribunal, and we wanted to find out exactly what is happening with that case. And joining us to talk more about that is Clea Parfit, co-counsel for the complainants against the bike lane. Clea, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon. Where is the case right now when it comes to uh, this happening at the Human Rights Tribunal? So we're in the second part of the case uh, where the Parks Board and the City of Vancouver are calling their witnesses. So we're working our way through um, various witnesses from the Parks Board, actually, at the moment. Uh, at the moment, we're hearing from a planner who was principally uh, responsible for um, making the plans, uh, first of all, to close the park and then to have the park, uh, one lane in the, in the park closed. And have you been able to call witnesses or have people that are that are part of your claim be able to tell their part and as to why they're bringing this forward? Absolutely. So the way a human rights complaint hearing works, the complainants go first because it's their case. And so when the hearing began in March, we heard from each of the five complainants um, talk in detail about what this experience was like for them, both when the park was closed entirely to cars and then when it was closed partially to cars in, in, in 2020 and in 2021 again. And so we, we heard from them, I think, quite, you know, wrenching ter- testimony about how difficult it was for them not to be able to access the park, but even more to feel like their needs as citizens of Vancouver uh, were not taken into account. And I recall talking to one of the lawyers and one of the complainants as well, and kind of what you just touched on there, and with the the argument being that it really restricted access to parking or much necessary parking to to accessible parking. Is that the kind of, or is that kind of at the core of the complaint as well? Well, in 2020, there were parts of the park that were inaccessible altogether to cars. So the the roadway where cars were permitted to go did not extend all the way to Brockton Point. There was no way to get to Third Beach. Parking at Second Beach was more or less entirely unavailable. So there were significant sections of the park that people were not able to get to. And then there were other sections of the park where in the past they would have stopped, for example, along the north edge of the park looking across, you know, at those superb views across to the North Shore. There was nowhere to stop along there once the bike lane was installed. And so even when the road was opened again to traffic in June of 2020, their use of the park was pretty, pretty severely constrained. And what are you hearing then when you say that the the tribunal is hearing now from planners or hearing from people who were behind those decisions? What are you hearing at the the tribunal as far as the reasons for that? The justification for the original closure and even for the one lane in 2020 was, 
you know, is said to be to permit distancing um, on the seawall for the people who would then be on the seawall. So the idea was, let's take bikes off the seawall, by which they meant not just the pavement that runs right along the ocean, but also the other paved strip, which is can be used by cyclists. Both of those areas were closed off to cyclists, the theory being that will leave more room for pedestrians. Those cyclists were then housed on the road altogether for, you know, a couple of months and then on one lane of the road. And we're so we're hearing that rationale being advanced, but what we're also hearing is that there was tremendous interest at the Parks Board in trialing a closure of the road, that then when they reopened it, there was tremendous interest in only opening one lane, which is what is the current situation. And I think, you know, our argument is going to be, and I think the evidence is clear, that um, that came to have a life of its own and may have had a life of its own from the very beginning. In other words, the choices that were made about how to manage the COVID issues were made in favor of closure because they wanted to see how that would work and they wanted to give an opportunity to having a closed bike lane. And, you know, that's very problematic from our point of view because when you make a decision that favors one group of citizens at the real expense of another group of citizens and that group of citizens is protected by the Human Rights Code, there may be consequences in the human rights process for that, which is certainly what we're arguing should happen. Right. Almost like the the fact that there was a pandemic was used as an excuse or as a reason to do something that that was already in the works. Yes. And we certainly saw before the closure in April, we have documents which say, you know, this is a tremendous opportunity to trial this. So clearly that was in the mix of the thought thinking at that time. And, you know, I think we're going to argue at the end of the day, pushed the the staff and in, in the direction of of closure rather than all sorts of other solutions. You know, if the seawall is too crowded, maybe limit the number of people on the seawall, maybe don't limit the number of vehicles coming into the park. So, you know, our view is that they had other options, but they were very keen to trial this option of closed um, road and then partially closed road for reasons that had to do with their interest in promoting cycling. And obviously, you know, they're free to promote cycling, but not at the expense of disabled people. And so what can the Human Rights Tribunal actually do when this case is done and when all of the evidence has been presented? What what power does the tribunal have in this? The, The tribunal has broad remedial powers. So the first thing that they can do if they agree with us that people's rights were breached or the Human Rights Code was breached is simply make that statement, that declaration that there has been a breach, which one hopes going forward would be of interest to the Parks Board and the City of Vancouver that their actions had breached the code and that might encourage them to do different things in the future. So that is a very important outcome to us and and one that the tribunal would be the first thing the tribunal would do. The tribunal can award damages um, to individuals who brought complaints and have convince the tribunal that they were impacted in a negative way by what occurred. So the tribunal will be asked to think about that. Those damages tend to be, you know, relatively nominal. Nobody's won the lottery, let's put it that way. Um, then, But then the, the, the next question and maybe the more prickly question for the tribunal is, will it make, you know, more 
directive orders. And certainly in our examination of the Parks Board and the city witnesses, we're listening for things that could have been done differently, for structures that could have been in place that would have prevented or protected against this outcome. We've heard a lot about the policies that the Parks Board had, and the policies are very pro-accessibility and increasing accessibility. So, you know, this doesn't seem to be a policy problem. It is, in our view, somehow an, an operational or execution problem. And, you know, we're listening hard to think about ways that that could be altered in the future so that there would be more built-in protection um, for the interests of disabled persons. Right. But but it couldn't, I would imagine, or, or could it make, a, if it was to rule in your favor, would that lead to things being changed back or would the park board and the city then be obligated to change things? If we obtained a ruling that the current setup now in 2022 breached the code, then they would be obliged to change it. Um, Of course, the setup has changed um, over time. So we had a, you know, we had original closure, then we had a setup in a particular arrangement in 2020. We had a different arrangement in 2021, and certainly in 2021, there's more access than there was in 2020, but there are still areas of the park, particularly the Separately Meadow area, and including the disabled washroom that's there, is very inaccessible to people traveling through the park. The access to that is really only from outside the park, which, of course, is not where you are if you're already in the park. So, you know, if the tribunal finds that that uh, state of affairs is discriminatory, then they would make that ruling, and they would also rule that... um, the Parks Board had to cease and desist that discrimination. That's a ruling they must make if they find discrimination. And so then the Parks Board would be obliged to make a change to to stop discriminating in the manner that the tribunal had found. So there's certainly possibility that the ruling of the tribunal may make a change in the future to how things are organized. But, you know, clearly that's perhaps in some ways a more difficult ruling. Right. And and do you have any idea then time-wise how much longer uh, the evidence will be presented and when we might get a ruling from the tribunal? Well, we've really been struggling to find dates. We are, you know, well beyond our initial predictions of how long this hearing would take. So we had some we had our main dates in May in March and we had some holdups at that time which then has thro- thrown us into dates in August. We've now got dates into September this week and last week. We have a further date in October, and then we'll have final dates towards the end of November and the start of December. We've got three or four more days there. So hopefully the evidence will be concluded by the start of December, and I imagine the tribunal will take six months or more to make a decision at that point. All right, so still uh, still a ways to go on this one. Still a ways to go, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, Clea, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us and bringing us up to date on what's happening there. I appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for your interest in the case. It's important. Phone lines are open, star 9898 and 604-280-9898. We were just talking with Clea Parfit, one of the counsellors for the complainants against the Stanley Park bike lane. That is, again, before the Human Rights Tribunal. Curious your thoughts on this. If you've been to the park lately, would you like to see it go back to the way it was? Or are you okay with it, how it is now? Even though, as we know, some people have taken the case to the tribunal saying that it is not working very well for people with mobility issues and those who want to access parts of the park. Let's see what you're saying on the open lines. And Robert in Vancouver, go ahead. Hi, yes. I just wanted to um, extend a thanks to Clea for for supporting this because I was one of the complainants uh, during the, the whole thing. 
Um, and I, you know, again, it, having the park shut down as it did, uh, it just really uh, compromised my ability to go out to the park and enjoy. Um, and I really, I really moving forward, I'd like to see that the parks board really consult with people around uh, accessible parking and uh, making sure things are all cleared before they start shutting things down. Um, Robert, Robert, can I ask, kind of, what, can you t- talk a bit, what was it uh, with the changes? How difficult did it make make it for you to access parts of the park? Well, it basically made it impossible for me. Um, now, uh, I drive a, uh, a van that I've uh, changed up with hand controls, and like it's quite a process to drive uh, through the park, and that was um, that was the thing. I need to be able to get into parking, into the park, be able to stop in the park. But with all the pylons that were going up down the middle of the park, it made it next next to impossible to actually go and stop and enjoy the park that I normally have. So I'd like to have it return back to the way it was. No pylons, just uh, you know, really made for people who go and enjoy the park and sorry, and, and yeah, that's that's kind of the main thing. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little mixed up with things. No, but, no, that, no, that's fine. No, I, and I appreciate you calling because you uh, that, that's exactly what this case is about. And it's important, like uh, Clea said, that decisions can't be made or they shouldn't be made with the, to the exclusion of people that uh, people like you. Well, yes. And if it weren't for Clea and all the other uh, members that were complainants and people who were around there, um, I really want to thank those people for advocating for for me and for the others because really we're kind of comp- uh, it's it's complicated to be uh, have a disability that makes it difficult to move around and actually communicate sometimes as you can as you can see um, so but to have the advocacy of Clea and the rest has made all the difference. Realize that we're not uh, we're not actually going to be isolated and and shuffled away and and sorry. Anyways. All right, Robert, thanks for calling. I appreciate that. That's uh, exactly the reason why we're talking about this today. So thank you so much for your call. Let's get to a couple more if we can. Jerry in Vancouver, what are your thoughts? Oh, hello. Well, I, I follow the case and um, I, uh, the the case and the whole process with the bike lane. And to be totally candid, uh, that happened nearly now close to three years ago when it started the restrictions. You know, I could have understood, you know, a month or two, but now they had years to figure it out. It's totally, totally, I feel, heavy-handed, you know, for a government body just to basically tell the world they're going to do consultations, which is nothing more than lip service. It's um, it's beyond words that the city of Vancouver is promoting all over the place, their accessibility and the openness and all that. They've hired a, a, a team of lawyers with our money, I should say, and God knows how much it's going to cost, hundreds of thousands of dollars, 
the fight for citizens of Vancouver for accessibility. I mean, Jill, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so angry about it. We could be sitting for three hours still discussing this matter. It, you could not make that stuff up if your life would depend on it. I'm just going to, uh, my last word on it is the whole thing is a total mess. All right, Jerry, thank you for that. I get your passion and uh, that you're very upset by this. And my apologies to anybody that we didn't get to on the open line. You can call and leave your message on the buzz line, and I'm happy to share it a bit later.